Uh, we are in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28 this morning. Mark 2, 23 to 28. And our title this morning for our topic is this. It is always right to do the right thing. It is always right to do the right thing. Mark 2, 23 to 28. Now we're going to read the text so that we can uh, ground ourselves in the text this morning. <clears throat> and when you do, you know I reminded you this recently, whenever we're studying together the scriptures, you should be asking two questions. So what? And now what? So what? What does the text say? And now what? What are we to do in light of what we have learned? Those are the two pressing questions. You should write them in the leaf of your Bible or in the back page so that you're always, as you're studying as a family, you're asking the question, so what? And now what? There's lots of application and lots of ways to apply the scriptures. But I think if I just give you two questions that you're regularly asking yourself, it will serve your soul and you will extract the most out of our time in our study in the morning. So what? Now what? Let's read Mark chapter 2, 23 to 28. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read about David? What David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? Now he entered the house of God at Nod, N-O-D, in the time of Abathar, the high priest. And he ate the consecrated bread, the 12 loaves that are there in the tabernacle, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Verse 27. Jesus then said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. And not man for the Sabbath. Secondarily, verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It is always right to do the right thing. I don't know if you've heard of an old word called, old word called pedophagy. It means simply... You spend an inordinate amount of time on small details that really don't matter, right? You, you, you're stuck in the trees and you miss the whole forest. That's exactly what's going on here. The Pharisees have mastered the art of pedophagy, focusing on minuscule details of the law while missing the whole point of the law, or in this case, Focusing on one dimension of the Sabbath while missing the whole purpose of being a Sabbath keeper. Well, to remind you where we're at in our study of Mark, our series theme of the Gospel of Mark is following Jesus immediately. And inside of Mark, we're in a five-part mini-series. Jesus has some critics 
And um, they're bringing accusation against him. And they're trying to undermine his authority and his identity. At the same time, by his responses, he's establishing his authority and his identity, which Mark says is crystal clear in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So over and over again, he's counteracting the religious elite who are bringing accusation against him that he is in violation of the law. They're looking to trip him up. They're looking for a flaw. They're looking for him to undermine the gospel. They're looking for him to break the law. <clears throat> and with each occasion, they are challenging him. So beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and going through Mark 3, verse 6, there are five incidents whereby Jesus has to answer their questions regarding his character and his authority and his identity. The first one to remind you, they question his statement when he said that he forgave the paralytic sin and they accused him of claiming to be God, which he was by forgiving sin. And they brought an accusation against him for using such rhetoric. The second one, they accused him of eating with sinners that he had Witness to Levi, Levi gives his life to Christ. He has a party at his house to celebrate his new life in Christ. He's now Matthew. And the Pharisees see this, and he, they see him eating with the Pharisees on one of their prescribed days or Sabbath days, right? Their holy days, their fasting days. And they catch him, and they accuse him of eating with sinners. And he responds... Is it not those who are healthy who need, if it, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right? Then last week, they accused him of not fasting. They prescribed in their laws, in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, that every Monday and Thursday you were to fast. And uh, they accused Jesus and his team not obeying the laws and he clearly deals with them with the new wine he says in verse 22 no one puts new wine into old wine skins otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well but one puts new wine into fresh wine skins and so they accuse him of uh, not fasting or breaking the fast now we find ourselves in the fourth accusation, the fourth controversial piece of the five-part mini-series here, and they are accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. It's a pretty big deal to, to break the Sabbath, to be accused of being a Sabbath breaker. Again, they're undermining his authority as the Son of God and his identity as, of being the Son of God. And they're seeking to trip him up. And we talked about the Pharisees last week. They are the law keepers. They preserve the law. You could say it like this. They're the religious police. And anybody that steps over the line, they bring accusation or charges. And that's exactly what's going on here. They see Jesus' disciples breaking the Sabbath. And so they come to Jesus and say, why is your team 
those that follow you, why are they breaking the Sabbath? But they miss the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, folks, is to be a blessing, not a burden. But as you know, the Pharisees took God's law, which was pretty simple, and they compounded it with 614 other laws. And as I plow through the book of Mark, you'll hear me use different terms like Mishnah and Talmud. The Mishnah is their Pharisees' oral tradition, things that they would share, things that they would communicate. By the year A.D. 200, they codified that in the Talmud. So these are not biblical documents. They're extra-biblical documents. But they codified these 614 rules. And then when it came to the Sabbath, they had 39, 40 save one, they would always say, 40 save one. They had 39 specific regulations that kind of framed or hedged in the Sabbath. The result was the Sabbath wasn't a great time. It was a burden. It was supposed to be a blessing. It was supposed to be a day of rest and a day of reflection. Uh, modeled by God himself in the creation order and then given to them in the Ten Commandments. It is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It was supposed to be awesome. Just like church today is supposed to be joy-filled. We are not to burden the sheep. We are not to break the backs of the sheep. But these Pharisees, these law keepers, the only way they thought they could be right with God would be by obedience to certain laws, right? And so if they could check all the boxes, they felt they could earn God's pleasure and they would please God. And so they were the religious elite bringing accusation against the very Son of God. Instead of them seeing Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath, they accused them of being a Sabbath breaker. It's crazy. It's a little bit like this, to give you a more modern example. Suppose you take your children to the Kentucky State Fair. But you say, we're going to have a great day. We're going to go to the fair. It's going to be a blast. But when you arrive at the fair, because you're a little quirky, you say, well, we can't, you can't ride the midway because those roller coasters aren't safe. And you can't go pet the animals because they're dirty. And they have diseases. And you can't get a, a doughboy because that's saturated fat. And you can't play the game, the Coke game with the rings, because you know it's rigged and nobody ever wins the big stuffed animal and you're only going to get a cone, right? So you can't, you, can't, you can't participate in all these things. So you're going to go to the state fair. You're going to tell your kids, we're going to have a blast at the state fair. But you can't ride rides. You can't touch the animals. You can't eat any cool bad food for you. You can't, you can't do anything. That's a little bit like what it was with the Sabbath. They said, the Lord's given us, God's given us the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, Exodus 20. He's given us the Sabbath, but you got all these hedges and all these burdens to it. You, you are paralyzed. And so it wasn't a day to look forward to their Saturday. Now we worship on Sunday. And we'll talk about that next week. Their Saturday. So Saturday was dread, dreaded. It was gloomy. It was dark. I mean, you were so fearful of breaking one of their laws and being at odds with God. It made it a fearful day, not a blessing, not a joy-filled day, not the way God intended it. So these Pharisees, this, these religious police were keepers of the, of 
of the law and they were out to get Jesus. And Jesus was disrupted. Uh, these five paragraphs, these five little mini narratives are clear. He's out to undermine the religious elite because everybody's looking at them going, that's what spiritual looks like. That's what godliness looks like are the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm the son of God. I came to save sins. And he comes right out of the gate. He, he even does this in, in, in chapter one with the, the paralytic, which freaks them out. And they say, only God can forgive sins. He's like, exactly. I'm God. So it's God among them, and they don't even recognize him. Why? Because they've got their blinders on by all these rules and all these regulations. And I'm here to remind you that rules will never constrain the flesh. They can't. As a matter of fact, we know this in parenting. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion every single time. You can't rule your way into obedience. You can't rule your way into um, forcing people to comply. They will break out of that. But the Pharisees were committed to this model. This was their, their theological model. This was how they thought. This is how they practiced. And they were constantly developing the art of pettifogging. Focusing on small, inordinately focusing on small details to the loss of the big picture. What really matters? What really matters? So, to understand Judaism, there are two primary marks that made them distinct from Gentiles. First was circumcision, and the second was the Sabbath. These were two mechanisms that God instituted, that God gave them to, to make them separate, to, to call them apart. This sanctuary of time and this right of privilege were signs to them. They were blessings to them that they were God's chosen people, God's chosen unique people. So circumcision and Sabbath keeping were huge in Judaism. And for them to catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath is a pretty big deal. And they think we've got him. The Sabbath. Let's talk about it a little bit so that you can understand what's going on here. The Sabbath, as you know, is the fourth of ten commandments. By the way, it is the longest of any of the ten commandments in given to us and even the description that we're not to work. It means that on Friday at sunset until Saturday at sunset, you were in Sabbath time. It was a sanctuary of time. It was given to Israel to separate them out, that they would set aside one day a week. Now, it lacked clarity intentionally because he gives them the Sabbath and then he lets liberty reign within that. The problem is this. The Pharisees would get questions because they're the religious elite. People would come to them and say, hey, uh, if I do this, this, and this, am I breaking the Sabbath? They go, well, they would process and they would come up with some, some rule, right? And it's just like policies in a company. Policies in a company are like scar tissue. They mount up, they get over, they build up over and over and over and over again. Then you got all these policies and nobody knows where they come from. But anyway, they, they, they accumulated 39 of these things. And so people were paralyzed 
They, they couldn't do anything, right? All God did was give them a day to abstain from physical labor so that they would worship. That's all it was. And there was lots of liberty baked into there. But again, the Pharisees don't like liberty. They like laws, right? They institute laws. They, they, they build a hedge around this beautiful day that God gives Israel, God's chosen people, this beautiful day, they turn it into drudgery, and it's gloomy, and it's, it's hardcore. So you were to, in the Sabbath, not engage in any unnecessary work or non-life-threatening kind of work. You were to set aside. And so the Pharisees, being keepers of the law, decided to build a commentary. And write all these things down to codify them for all the people so that they would know exactly what they are doing. Thus, leaving the beautiful picture of what Sabbath was supposed to be for something other. And so they answered every conceivable question. For example, they said you couldn't sew, not even a stitch. You could walk about a quarter of a mile. They even had it down to steps, 1,999. So it was 2,000 steps, save one. They always use this little phrase, save one. 1,999 steps. It's clear the disciples had not violated the step rule because they would have brought that up too. And they were out walking with them. In order to see, right, in order for the Pharisees to see Jesus' disciples eating grain in a field, they'd had to been with them and they'd be out walking. So clearly nobody's in violation of the step rule, okay? Another one. Your sandals. If they came unknotted, you would lace up. It'd be a flat piece of leather or material, and it would lace up around your ankle. You've seen like an old Roman soldier, right? If that came undone, you were cooked until sun, sunset on Saturday night. You couldn't. That was considered work to tie a knot in your sandals. So if you were the smart religious person, you'd double knot your bobos, right? You'd you double knot those things to make sure they didn't come undone. But that was considered work, and you'd be in violation, and you'd be sinning against God. You couldn't write one single letter. You couldn't write anything down. That was considered work. So God says, I'm going to give you a day of rest, whereby you're not going to do physical labor, but you're just going to worship. And you can see what they've done. They have turned this into a, a nightmare for, for Judaism. For, for people who should be worshiping, right? So what they're accusing Jesus of is having a lax attitude, or his disciples. His team has a lax attitude towards the Sabbath, and they're breaking their laws. They're not breaking the law, the law of God. They're breaking their laws, okay? So here's the controversy. It's the first week of June. We know that because it's time of harvest. All right, so it's the first week of June, early June, let's just say that. It's between sunset on Friday and most likely it's on Saturday, sometime on Saturday before sunset on Saturday. And the Pharisees are following them around. They're not looking out for their best interest. They're looking to trip them up. They follow the disciples through a field within the 1,999 steps. They follow them, right, into this field and... They look and they see his disciples pick off some grain. They would take the heads of the wheat off and they would grind the wheat and they'd make wheat thins. 
All right? He'd give you something to eat. And some water, and they'd have some wheat, and they would eat that so for, for, for sustenance, right? The problem is they had one of the 39 rules was rubbing your hands to make bread or wheat to, to get the, the grain was considered work. This little bit was work. Ah, you're violating the Sabbath. So we, they got them. They knew they had them. They said, look, they're in the field. They're hungry, right? They're traveling with Jesus. They're hungry, and they are making wheat thins. And they have violated the law of God. I'll be doggone, we got them. So that's what they are thinking. That's what they are, are, are going through the process to discover. The rubbing of their hands is in violation of the law of God. Not that they're heading to worship. Not that they're doing anything that violates the fourth commandment as found in Exodus 20. But they're violating one of our laws. And so Jesus responds to, to them. And he gives them, really, and us, three ways or three principles to fight legalism. Because that's basically what this is. Not in its purest sense of legalism, but they're holding the people accountable to man-made rules, right? So that these man-made rules would make you feel righteous. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to dismantle your self-righteousness by showing you you are in violation of the fourth commandment by creating all these extra laws. And so he calls them to accountability here. And he does it in three principles. And if you'll apply these three principles to your own life and to your own family and to your own worship, you won't be a legalist. You'll understand the purpose. You'll get the big picture that Sabbath keeping we're not Sabbatarian. We'll deal with that next week. But Sabbath-like keeping, worshiping on Sunday, is to be a blessing. We're to have a blast. This is to be the high point of your week. This is the start of your week. This is day one. This is the high and holy day. We get to gather together for the sake of worship. And so let's look at what Jesus told them. They accused them of being Sabbath breakers. Right. And their Sabbath rules were crushing and legal and giving the people a legalistic burden. In reality, the Pharisees are the ones who are breaking the Sabbath by piling on man-made rules and creating a burden for them. So principle number one, it's pretty simple. Read your Bible. Know your Bible. Look at the text. Verse 25. And he said to them, Had you never read? Have you never read? Do you not know your Bibles? Do you not know how God gave the commandment? So Jesus and his disciples are merely getting a snack in a wheat field. And they're being accused, because they're starving, by the way. They're hungry. They're being accused of sinning against God. This is crazy. Sinning against God. So the first thing he reminds them of is, have you not read? There's an example he's going to give them. But before you understand that example, I want you to hear Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 to 25. You can write it in your margin. 
But there was a, uh, an exemption to this rule during the Sabbath. Now, Deuteronomy, what does Deuteronomy mean? Deutero, second giving. It's the second giving of the law. So the law is given. The Ten Commandments are given in Exodus, right, and defined. And then Deuteronomy is like a summary. It's Deutero, it's in addition to. So in addition to the fourth commandment, there were some, some exemptions, some ways to navigate the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, look at it with me, you'll see is that exemption. And this is why partly he's saying, have you not read? He's going to give them an actual example that would be really meaningful to them in a second. But I want to add this one in there because they're violating already the scriptures. He says this in Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are full or till you're satisfied. But you shall not put any in your basket. Verse 25. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, first week of June, Shaban, Mark 2, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. It's a pretty simple principle. It's eat your fill. You can't have baskets of grapes. You can't take a sickle in there and, and clear out a hector for your family. That's clearly a violation. There's a principle here about loving your neighbor, right? Which is Jesus said, the two of the greatest commandments ever given is love God and love your nut neighbor. Your neighbor's starving. Let him go grab some grain, make him some wheat thins, and it'll get him through the day. It was already baked into the law. It was Deutero, in addition to a second giving to the second commandment. So eat your fill. You can't take extra. You're not to be out harvesting on somebody else's land, but whatever you can fit in your pocket, maybe, right? Not a basket, but a pocket full, enough to get you through the day, right? That is the principle. But they lacked scripture, understanding. They didn't know their Bibles. Deuteronomy was accessible to these religious leaders, but they were not interested in the scriptures. They were interested in their 614 other laws, right? to the Mishnah, to their oral traditions, and then ultimately to the Talmud, their codified rules to be a commentary to the law of God. God's law needs no commentary. It's already baked in the scripture. So that alone, that text alone in Deuteronomy is enough to undermine anything that's in play here or anything that they're struggling with to understand. But he goes on. He gives them a real example. Check it out. Now, verse 26, uh, verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he is, and his companions became hungry? Now he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful or anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Wow. Here's the big example. I gave you a textual example in addition to this. But Jesus felt this was enough. This was the perfect um, example. And it's a reminder, folks, that it's always right. <clears throat> it's always right to do the right thing. 
What Jesus is referencing is something they should have been familiar with, right? Because they're religious leaders. They should have known their Bible. They should have been aware of 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. That's where this account is recorded. You know what's going on. Now, why it means so much to the Pharisees is because he's kind of writing to a, a Gentile off, uh, audience in the book of Mark. And they would love a kingly story. They were looking for a king, a ruler, right, to, to, to come into Jerusalem and to take names. So a, a Davidic king, a messianic king like David would resonate with them. It would be the right illustration for Jesus to deploy here to undermine their self-righteousness. And so Jesus said, have you heard of the Davidic precedent? What David did in the time of Abathar. So Jesus wrote the Bible here, wrote, knew the Bible, because he wrote the Bible, right? He knows the story, so he pulls one out of history, one they would be familiar with. Now, let me remind you of the story there in 1 Samuel 21. It's simple. David is fleeing from who? Saul. He's in the desert. As you remember, he had to flee so fast, he didn't have time to pack supplies. He just had to get out of Dodge, and he ran. Well, they had run out of food. And so they, they show up and nod, and they're looking for some help. And they, they, they go to the tabernacle. Temple's not instituted yet. They go to the tabernacle, and the people would bring this bread. It's called the bread of presence. And there would be 12 loaves reflecting the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would be put on the altar. And after the time of worship or season of worship ended, they would then get to participate. The, the priest, the high priest only would eat the loaves. David comes in and says, I know it violates temple or tabernacle law, but, but we, we're starving. We're hungry. And so they ate the 12 loaves. They, and he fed it to his, his leadership, his, his, his men as well. So David here is an example to the Pharisees who need clarity that it's okay when someone's starving to feed them. Why? Because that's not the, pur the purpose of Sabbath is not to make people miserable. It's to bless them. And so if someone is in need, it's always right to do the right thing, regardless of the rules that these man-made rules that they hedged or fenced in the Sabbath with. This tabernacle was designated the holy place. The priests were the only ones to eat. David ate. And he gave it to his team. And you would think that in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, they would contemn them for treason, right? For, for breaking the, the laws of the holy place. They did not. Folks, listen to me. God's rules, God's commandments are always wise and always benevolent. You are always called to do the right thing. If a law or a rule, whether it's man-made or not, comes in controversy with caring for someone's real needs, they're starving to death, you take care of them. You care for them. You, you're willing to violate man's rules to care for, right, the person. Why? Because you love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's two greater commandments. It's in the laws of priority or order. So I love what Jesus says. 
Have you not read your Bibles? He tells these Pharisees, these guys should have known the Torah. They should have known the law of God. It should have been clear to them. And he basically says, have you not read what David did? He violated the tabernacle principle, the laws of God that set aside those loaves for only the priests because they were hungry. And Jesus offers up that as only Jesus can. Why? Because 28, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He makes the rules. He knows the scriptures. He wrote the scriptures. He knows the stories. And so they are bringing accusation that he is a Sabbath breaker. He said, oh, no, that's not the purpose of the Sabbath. Here's the principle. Whenever people, even in our day, bring rules to you that are not in the Bible, the first priority, the first Visceral response is, what does the Bible say? If we as elders come to you and say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z over here, the first response you ought to have is, what does the Bible say, right? The authority and sufficiency of Scripture reigns in rules. Now, we're not going to add to the Bible, and we're not going to underinterpret. We're not going to superinterpret. We talked about that two weeks ago, right? We're, we're careful as careful as we can be to interpret. What they were doing is super interpretation. It was simple. God gave them the Sabbath, and they just blew it up with rules. So much so that nobody enjoyed going to the temple. Nobody enjoyed all the rules. They're having to mark off as a family. Hey, little Jimmy, you're 1,832 steps away. You're about to violate and make God mad, as if that would do it. And that's the kind of constraint it's the same thing that's true today. When someone's trying to be legalistic, the place you go is, have you read your Bible? Do you know your Bible? Are they adding something to the scriptures that aren't there? So Jesus is not giving his team an excuse. It's a precedent. Loving your neighbor superintends their laws and their rules. And they love David. He was King David. I mean, he was a rock star to them. They were like, oh, dang, yeah, I do remember that. And Abathar, yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, they, oh, my God, yeah. It should have been lights on. And they go, you know what? We're totally in error here. We're totally out of line. Let me tell you how entrenched they are. We'll, we'll kind of give you a little sneak preview for next week. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. This is the last narrative of 5. Look at the last thing. Look how they respond. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. Because these guys were like Navy SEALs of that day. Were the Herodians against him as how they might destroy him. They're not teachable. They're not open to be taught. They are locked into their rules. They're locked into their laws. And he has to, he gives them clear examples from the Old Testament. The Testament, their book, the big book, Right? And they will not respond. They will not bend their hearts. Folks, it always begins with, what does the Bible say? When someone brings and says, okay, all the ladies have to wear dresses. Let's try to make up a bunch. You can make up a few. You have to wear dresses on the Lord's Day. You can't wear pantsuits because Jesus wouldn't wear pants. He wore a dress. I don't know. For whatever reason, you're not. You see what I'm saying? Well, you're going to go, well, hold on. What does the Bible say? Right? You've experienced this. If you've been in the church long enough, there are man-made traditions that creep into the body 
But I just want to remind you that as a faithful student of Scripture, you have to know what the Bible says. Know your Bible. You can't let people come in and say this, this, and this. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and I've been in legalistic churches. And it, it is just constrained to the point like it's just I'm just afraid I'm going to do something wrong on how I worship or how I do this or how I do that. It's just not in the text. And this is clear what Jesus is trying to do to them. Say, listen, stop with your self-righteousness. Honor the scriptures. Know your Bible. Second principle he gives them. First is there in verse 25. Have you not read? Have you not read your Bibles enough to know that they are not violating the Sabbath? But he gives a second one. Look at it. Jesus said to them, secondarily, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The principle is this. Read your Bibles. Number two, remember the Sabbath is for man and not vice versa. They had reversed the order, had they not? They said the Sabbath is king. We submit to the Sabbath. No, no. No, no. The Sabbath was given to you to be a blessing. Right? One day out of seven, you were to take a break. And you were to remember. You were to replenish because you were drained from hard work from the sweat of your brow. Genesis chapter 3. Sabbath itself, it, the word etymolo etymologically means deep rest or peace. And I'll tell you, the peace comes from resting in the Lord of the Sabbath, in Jesus. Because he saved us from our sins and that's why we're here worshiping. Right? We're, we're forgiven. It began in Genesis 2-3. God rested, not because he was tired in his creation exercise, because, but it was because he was finished. And he was satisfied. He made the earth and all the things that are in it. And it wasn't like, whew, broke a sweat. Didn't, didn't drop one drop of sweat. It's him saying he rested because it's finished and he's satisfied. And he is the creator, the sovereign ruler of his creation, right? He's going to say in a second, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. So when we Sabbath, we rest in the gospel and we rest in the finished work of the cross. That's what Sundays are for, for us. That's what it was for Israel, for, for Judaism. That's what it was designed to be, a time to reflect on God's creation and God's engagement. So after the cross, after the re resurrection, is instituted the Lord's Day, right? And we moved it to Sunday. And now we rest. And we rest in our identity in Christ. We sit under teaching. We hear about the gospel. We, we know who we are in Christ. And we can rest. We worship because we rest in Christ. And he's satisfied Again, he finished, it is finished. The wrath of God against sin, against us, is accomplished on the cross. And so we rest. Even we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. Why? To point us to that very rest that we have only in Christ. So Sabbath rest, today is now for us Sunday, reminds us to stop striving, to stop working, to stop trying to obey rules you can't keep. And attempt to approve yourself to God. It's saying rest in the gospel. In the finished work of Christ. 
Stop striving. Listen to Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one can boast. That's what Sabbath rest is. That's what Sundays are all about. That you show up here on Sunday. And that's the reminder. It, I can't work my way into heaven. I can't earn God's favor. It's I am in Christ. I have yielded my life to Christ. And I can rest. And then worship is not a burden. It's a blessing. And it's to, it's to bless your socks off. Remember, Sabbath is for man. It's to be the great blessing in life. It's not to be a joyless occasion. It's to be a joy-filled occasion. It's not to be a, a burden. It's to, man, it's to say, man, we can love God. And he finished the work. And if someone comes in on a Jewish Sabbath or the Lord's Day, we're to love our neighbors ourselves. We care for them. We don't say, hey, we're worshiping now. We can't do that on Sunday. We can't bless you on Sunday because we're worshiping. No, no. No, no. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. When it came to food, they even baked in the rules. They said, look, if you were not thoughtful enough or didn't have enough foresight to prepare your meal on Friday, then you ought to starve on the, on the Sabbath. If you're not smart enough to get your meals prepared ahead, well, these guys are traveling. They're on Jesus' team. They're, they're, they're walking through fields. They're starving. They're hungry. Then the, what superintends that is love your neighbors yourself. Then you give them food. But again, they had all these crazy laws that, that made that an impossibility. The Sabbath is for man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath not, is not above man. The Sabbath is not above worship. It doesn't define who we are. Our identity is in Christ. That's Sabbath rest. Ceasing from work and engaging in thoughtful, heartfelt worship. So one day a week, folks, one day a week, we give our body to rest and our soul to worship. That's what we do. And that's why you're here this morning. That's just what we do. But they had jammed that all up. And they are bringing accusation after accusation. Accusation, And even Jesus on the cross, as you know, says it is finished to reflect the finished work, which is reflection of Genesis chapter two, verse three. And God said when he finished his creation, it is finished. This is a classic example of missing the forest for the trees. And everybody was anxious and scared they would violate the Pharisees rules. And Jesus says, that's crazy. David broke the rules. And man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man. But he gave one more. He goes one step further. One step further. Check it out. Mark 2, 28. Look at it. So. Summary. So. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now remember, they're not recognizing him as Lord. They got all excited when he said he forgives sins because only God can forgive sins. Now he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It is a divine pronouncement. In other words, he's saying it like this. This was how they would think. 
I am the one who caused the fields to grow. I am the seed. I watered the field. I enriched the soil. I caused the sun to shine. I can do just as I please on the Sabbath because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I wrote the rules. I wrote the scripture. So Jesus is saying, I am the Sabbath rest. If you follow me, if you love me, you love rest. I am rest. I don't want to be a burden to you. I want to relieve you of your sins. One day a week. Just one day a week. To remind us. He instituted one day a week to remind us of eternal rest in Christ. Listen. What he's telling them there in verse 28. Your rest is not in a day of the week. Your rest is in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Don't worry about the day of the week. You're getting all jammed up about a day. Hebrews 4. I am rest. So Jesus affirms the Sabbath and squashes their unbiblical rules, their pettifogging, right? He calls them to cease pettifogging. He calls them to cease straining at gnats, right? He's not... Over the rule. The question is not who rules or what the rules are. It's who rules, right? That's the real clash here. The real clash is the Pharisees against Jesus on who rules. Not the rules and who's violating those rules, but actually who rules. That's the real rub. rub. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And so they attempted to turn a single... Awesome, beautiful day into religious bondage for people. And it was absolutely, absolutely insane. They have, as you can see in the text, distorted the view of the Sabbath. They have confused people about the right thing to do. So people were not feeding people who were starving, people passing through because they were fearful of breaking the Sabbath. They were sticklers. That's their problem. They were sticklers and nuancing every doctrine, trying to figure out every little detail of every doctrine. They're sticklers. And so Jesus, again, fourth time in this section, he dismantles their self-righteousness, their ability to play religious police. Here's the dangerous part of legalism, folks. You will ultimately end up deluding people into thinking that if they do certain things and they check certain boxes, they'll be okay with God. And that's dangerous. They'll actually like, if I do this, if I look like this, if I dress like this, if I act like this, if I say this thing this right way, then, then you'll delude yourself into thinking what I'm doing is religious and it feels good. And I, I actually, uh, I'm okay with the Lord. And you could be... Sadly mistaken on that. So, the Pharisees focus on the minors, not on the majors. They take secondary, third, fourth, fifth, sixth level things and they bring them into the primary spot. And that's extremely dangerous. You're, you need to know that your works as read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 a moment ago, cannot earn God's favor. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's for by grace and grace alone. 
You need to know from this text that you are to love your neighbor more than being a stickler of the law. You need to know that. Whoever needs your help, it's not, the first question is not what rules do we need to protect? It's how do we serve them? Adding rules to God's law is legalism. It's supra-interpreting. It confuses people. You need to know that Jesus is our rest, not Saturday, not Sunday, not Monday, not Wednesday, not Thursday afternoon, not Friday morning. Jesus is our rest. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Also, you need to remind yourselves to remove, be careful and remove the beam that's in your own eye before you try to pull out the speck in others. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. Instead of them submitting themselves to their own laws, they could violate them at will, they would go around pointing out people's laws like the religious police and, and, and trying to pull a beam out of their eye when they had the speck. Uh, they had a beam in their eye and they're trying to pull a little tiny speck out of someone else's eye. You remember what Jesus said about that in, in Matthew chapter 7? He says, don't judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you'll be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eyes? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing, the religious elite. They had this beam in their own eyes. They violated the law of God, yet they're trying to pull the speck out of the disciples' eye. Why are you guys eating grain? What's going on here? I know you're hungry, but why would you dare violate the law of God? Lastly, by way of application, Sundays, Saturdays for Judaism, are to be joy-filled, not gloomy. You don't ever want to sit under leadership and teaching that leaves you burdened. Sometimes you need to leave burdened because of your sin. We all know that. I think that's a fair. But Sunday should be, man, I see clearer. I worship in a greater way. I respond um, biblically. I know what the Bible says. I'm pointing to you. I'm doing this. I'm talking to you, and I'm pointing. I want you to see what the scriptures say because I'm not the authority. The word of God is the authority. But I can point you and I can bring clarity and I can animate the text to the best of my ability. But you have to see it yourself. And I'm not up here just talking and you have no access to the Bible. You, Because of the priesthood of believer, you can verify what I'm saying to be true. And church ought to be a time of exaltation and worship. Now, if there's times it's somber and there's times it's celebratory. We get all of that. We're not making any statement on that. But generally speaking, you ought to walk away from church, even if you're convicted of your sin, walk away going, man, that was awesome. I came face to face with Jesus Christ in the text. And now I got to do something about it. Remember what I said in the beginning? So what? Now what? What are you going to do with this text? As Jesus answers his critics that he had broken the law of God. He's the lawmaker. 
And they accused the lawmaker, the Lord of the Sabbath, of breaking his own Sabbath. Craziness, right? That's what legalism does. It's pedophobia. Focusing on the wrong things. Focusing on small, itty-bitty nuances and missing the whole forest of theology. There is caution in this for all of us, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and our time together and study and this question that is even posed to Jesus brings us clarity. It dismantles our own self-righteousness. Lord, when we're tempted to pull the beam out of somebody else's or the speck out of somebody else's eye when we have a beam in our own, oh, convict us of that. Lord, help us, help us not to strain at gnats and swallow camels. Help us to not be engaged in pedophagy. Missing the whole point. Help us to be grateful for Sabbath rest in Christ. That it's not a day, it's a person. And Lord, as we turn our attention to the Lord's table, we get to celebrate what you did for us on the cross. That your body was broken as reflected in the bread. Your blood was shed as reflected in the juice and wine. And Lord, let us celebrate with just a different sense of meaning this morning. You are Lord of the Sabbath. Likewise, you instituted the Lord's table. For us to remember your finished work on the cross. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.